0: Uh, the title of tonight's message is simply david's discouragement uh, david's discouragement this is where we are in our study and this is what the lord has for us tonight and so let's look together at first samuel chapter 20 and verse 1 and david fled from nahoth in ramah and came and said before jonathan what have i done what is my iniquity what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life And he said unto him, God forbid, thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but he will show it unto me first. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in your eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as thy soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desires, I will even do it for thee. And David said unto Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon. That's a, that's a feast. And I shall not fail to sit with the king at meat, but let me go, that I may hide myself in the field unto the third day at evening. If thy father at all miss me, then say, David, earnestly asked leave of me, that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he say thus, it is well, thy servant shall have peace. But if he be very angry, then be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into covenant of the Lord with thee. Notwithstanding, or unless, if there be in me iniquity, slay me thyself, for why shouldst thou bring me to thy father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from thee, for if I knew certainly that evil were determined by my father to come upon thee, then would not I tell it thee? Then David said to Jonathan, Who shall tell me? Or what if thy father answers thee roughly? So Jonathan said unto David, Come, let us go out into the field. And they went out, both of them, into the field. And Jonathan said to David, O Lord God of Israel, When I have sounded my father about tomorrow, any time, or the third day, and behold, it there be good toward David, and I then send not unto thee, and show it thee. The Lord do so and much more to Jonathan, but if it please my Father to do thee evil, then I will show it thee, and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace, and the Lord be with thee, and he, as he has been with my Father, and thou shalt not only while excuse me rather, and thou shalt not only while yet I live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also that Thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and thou shalt be missed because thy seat will be empty. And when thou hast stayed three days... Then thou shalt go down quickly and come to the place where thou didst hide thyself when the business was in hand. And thou shalt remain by the stone Ezel. And I will shoot three arrows on this side thereof as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send a lad saying, go find out the arrows." If I expressly say to the lad, behold, the arrows are on this side of thee or close to thee, take them. Then come thou, for there is peace to thee and no hurt as the Lord lives. But if I say... This unto the young man, behold, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way, for the Lord hath sent thee away and as touching the matter which thou and I have spoken of. Behold, the Lord be between thee and me forever. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon was come, the king did sit down to eat meat. And the king sat upon his seat, as at other times, even upon a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul spake not anything that day, for he thought, Something has befallen him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. And it came to pass on the next day, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet neither yesterday or today? And so Jonathan said to Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, Let me go, I pray thee. For our family hath a sacrifice in the city, and my brother, he hath commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me get away, I pray thee, and see my brothers. Therefore he cometh not to the king's table. And Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, "Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness. For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor your kingdom. Wherefore now sin and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die." And Jonathan answered Saul, his father and said, "Wherefore shall he die?" What if he done? At that moment Saul cast a javelin, a spear at him to kill him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to also kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David, because his father had done him shame. And it came to pass in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad with him. And he said unto the lad, run, find out now the arrows which I shoot. And as the the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the lad was come to the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried after the lad and said, is not the arrow beyond thee? And Jonathan cried after the lad, make speed, speed, haste, stay not. And Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows. Came to his master, but the lad knew not anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his artillery unto the lad and said unto him, Go, carry them back to the city. And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of the place, of course, where he was hiding toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, bowed himself three times, and they kissed one another and wept on one another until David exceeded. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. For as much as we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seat and thy seat forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. I wonder tonight if you might, in light of our text this evening, be experiencing a uh, season of discouragement. Perhaps there are some internal battles that no one else knows about that has you down, questioning some things, wondering if you're going to make it. Maybe it's not so much internal as it is external issues that you're dealing with. A lot of times we call these things fears, fear of sickness, uh, fear of death, fear of losing someone you love, or perhaps even fear of losing it all yourself. You know, there's a lot of things that can and will contribute to our seasons of discouragement. Physical, emotional, spiritual. They're all affected when we find ourselves depleted and down and discouraged. Fearful, wondering at what's going to happen, not only day by day, but moment by moment. Well, tonight, with the Lord's help, I I want us to see a moment in David's life, as we read in the text together, when he was indeed discouraged, and what it was that helped him. So let's jump right into this as a form of an outline. Number one, just simply write down there in your notes the need for encouragement. The need for encouragement. As we are reminded in our study of the last several chapters, Saul isn't just out to get David. Saul is out to kill David. And so David comes to his dear friend Jonathan. And he wants to know, because Jonathan is the son of Saul, he wants to know where Jonathan is in this whole scheme of things. In fact, the conversation that we found in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 20 shows us several things, in my opinion. One, it shows us that Jonathan had no idea about Saul's recent rage in attempting to kill David back in chapter 19, with everything going on with the raid and David and, and uh, Michael or Michael's house, to the fact that Saul goes himself marching to Naoth, it, it seems that Jonathan was oblivious to it or that Saul had done all of this to skirt Jonathan's attention. So when we, when we open the chapter, when we read of this conversation, Jonathan's saying, look, uh, my, my father would not try to kill you unless I knew about it. It shows us here that Jonathan had no idea that Saul had gone to this great length. I think it also shows us that Jonathan was still a loyal friend to David, regardless of what Saul might be saying. And it's here when we come to verse number 3 of chapter 20 that we see the revelation of David's discouragement. David swore moreover over and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as thy soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. That verse, that statement, that line, it underscores the intensity of David's discouragement. He says, Jonathan, I, I need you to know that when it comes to your father... When it comes to your father, you may not be aware of what's going on, but I'm on the receiving end of this. And when it comes to your own father, there's but, a, there's but a step between me and death. In other words, David feels like the very next step he takes could very well be the step in which his life is murderously taken from him. David's discouraged. discouraged. I don't know if you've ever been in that type of position in life where you feel like, I don't know that I could even go another step without feeling like death is knocking at my door. He's discouraged. And by the way, who can blame him? Let's just retrace our steps for just a moment. Three times Saul tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. Two times he sent David on a mission for the very purpose of putting him in a position just to be killed by the Philistines. Three other times he enlisted others in various schemes and plots for the purpose of trying to kill David. And when all of those things fell, Saul himself even marched to Nahoth in hopes to attempt a, 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 a threat on David's life, if it were not for the Spirit of God confounding Saul and protecting David, then perhaps Saul would have succeeded over and over again. It has been very clear. David knows it, Saul's servants know it, and Saul understands it. He's trying to kill David. He's scared. he's fearful. He's discouraged. And there's no questioning the fact that he is in prime need of encouragement. And he comes to his friend, Jonathan. And he wants Jonathan to know how he sees things. That's, that's, that's the important thing when it, when it to, relates to our ability to be able to encu- encourage other people. One of the reasons I think that we, that we fail so often at doing this in, in a in a helpful way is because oftentimes we can only see situations from our perspective. I've never gone through this. I've never experienced anything like this. So, so surely there's something wrong with you, right? Jonathan is here. He's his friend. He's his loyal friend. And David, David just wants Jonathan to know how he sees things. And that from his perspective, regardless of what Jonathan may or may not be aware of, that from David's perspective, he feels like, he feels like, I am just one step away from a murderous ending. So what we see very briefly, and I'm not going to prolong this, is that like most of us, and maybe some of us tonight, maybe not to the degree that David was. I don't know if anybody's thrown any spears at you today. But it doesn't negate the fact one iota that we all have moments and seasons, sometimes brief, sometimes lengthy, when we're in need of encouragement. All right? That's the first one the need for encouragement. Write down number two, and this will be our lengthy pause tonight the gift of encouragement. The gift of encouragement. This begins at verse 4. And what we see here is that God's gift of encouragement to David, it, it came from the faithfulness of a friend. Faithfulness of a friend. But Once Jonathan was able to perceive the seriousness of David's discouragement, notice what he said in verse 4. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever your soul desires, I will do it for you. That's his response. Whatever your soul desires, I will do it for you. In other words, whatever you need, David, I'm here to help. I'm listening now. I'm trying to feel what you feel. I'm trying to see what you see. And I just want you to know, I am here to help. His encouragement, as we will see unfolded, Came via the gift of a friend. Proverbs seventeen seventeen. A friend loves at all times. And notice what else he says. And a brother, a brother is born for the day. Of adversity. Is David experiencing some adversity? Absolutely he is. Is he at the lowest point in this stage of his life? At this point in his life he is. He believes, he feels that there's only one step away from dying. And this is the gift that God gives us in these moments. He gives us friends. Faithful friends who are born for this day. Who love us not when things are just going well, but when things are raveling apart. A brother. Not just familial, but sometimes non familial. A brother is born for adversity. Kathleen recently purchased some decor for the boy's bedroom. I'm getting used to all the new terminology. I've been saying for quite a long time, my son's bedroom, but now there are plural sons, so the boy's bedroom. And uh, Keegan obviously is super excited about sharing his room with his new brother. He's already asked for Jaden to sleep in the room with him. We tried that for a little bit a couple of nights ago, and Jaden woke up as he typically does uh, late in the evening. Ready for a feeding, and he's crying super loud. And Keegan's over there. I wish I could do that. I'm awake every time Jaden is these days. She she bought this sign to hang in their room, and it reads like like a definition. And it says, Brother, a companion, a protector. And one who laughs at all your silly jokes, a best friend for all your days, and a person who will always be there to pick you up when you fall. That's Proverbs 17, 17. Friends love at all times, and brothers are born for adversity. Well, notice how Jonathan then proceeded to encourage uh, David. Number one, I I noticed here that Jonathan's encouragement to David, it was first humble and helpful. It was humble and helpful. Again, we look at verse 4 and his initial reaction. He He didn't rebuke David for his moment of fear. David's afraid. David's fearful. He believes he's one step away from dying, and Jonathan doesn't show up and start rebuking him for being fearful instead of being filled with faith. Now what he does at the beginning is just simply offer his help. He offers his help. Whatever you need, David. Whatever you need. I just want to help you. You know, when you're discouraged, it's hard to see hope. And we can can make things a lot worse for our friends when our first response is to chide them or rebuke them for some spiritual quality that seems to be failing in their moment of discouragement. There's no question David is filled with fear. But Jonathan didn't show up and say to David, Come on, David, get up! You're the anointed one. God said you're going to be king. What do you mean you're fixing to die? Stop being so afraid. Jonathan didn't look at David and say, where's your faith, David? Why aren't you trusting God, David? I'm ashamed to admit this to you, but as a father, I catch myself doing this with my children, especially during things like storms. Like we've had this week, I can easily forget that what I, have ex- what I have experienced on many, many occasions in my life that my children are experiencing fresh and new. Maybe storms still scare you, and there are certain storms that I'll admit will make me a little anxious from time to time, but the typical sun, summer evening thunderstorm rolling around with heavy winds and rain... Oh, How many times have we experienced that as adults? In fact, I've gotten to the point where that's my best time to sleep when it's raining and storming like that. Oh, but not my kids. Every time they see dark clouds rolling on, they they start getting afraid. You think a tornado will come out of that one? Dad, is this a a bad storm? Are we going to lose the lights? Are we going to lose the house? I can't sleep. I'm scared. Dad, we just want to stay with you. Can we just stay with you? And and, and here's the poor father in me at times. Sometimes I'm like, come on, guys, stop. It's just a storm. Come on, quit freaking out. Everything's okay. The house is not going to go anywhere. We're going to be fine. Grow up. These are storms. I think sometimes we treat others who are discouraged with the same type of mentality. Come on. Why are you so afraid? Trust God. You know how many times I've had people tell me that in my own seasons of discouragement and I'm thinking to myself, I am trying. I'm trying. But I'm having a hard time right now. That's David. And Jonathan doesn't chide him. He doesn't rebuke him. He just humbly, humbly, humbly just says, Dave, whatever you need. I want to help you. It's a good lesson for us. That our encouragement ought to be first and foremost humble and helpful. Uh, Secondly, Jonathan's encouragement to David was motivated by covenant love. It was motivated by covenant love. So, so, so here's what David does. Jonathan comes and says, I, I just want to help you. Uh, David says, well, good, I've got a plan. <laughs> and uh, here's, here's my plan. Here's how you can, you can help me. He brings up this whole uh, idea of the new moon feast that was the next day. And this feast was a Jewish feast in which, which the whole nation would uh, celebrate and, 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 uh, and be present for. And David would have had to be present it in the king's chambers because not only is he one of the cabinet members, so to speak, as a faithful warrior in Israel, but he's also one of the son-in-laws of King Saul. But he's going to be absent. And the reason why he's going to be absent is something to do with a family sacrifice in Bethlehem. Now, when you read it on the surface, it's may, it may seem like that, that David may be making up this whole ordeal, I think there's arguments on both sides. It could very well be that there was nothing going on in Bethlehem, that this was just a part of the story. I don't know. There there are also other instances in which the language is used, and it appears to be that David actually did go to Bethlehem for whatever his family was requesting and decided on the third day to come back and meet with Jonathan as they uh, requested. Either way, Jonathan isn't going to be in the king's palace for the new moon feast, or excuse me, David isn't, because he is planning... To go to Bethlehem. Now, here's a part of the plan. David says to Jonathan, When Saul notices my absence, and if he is okay with it, then we'll know that I'm safe. But maybe Saul has moved on. He's no longer going to throw any more spears at me. However, if he notices I'm absent and he gets angry because I'm absent, then you, Jonathan, and I am going to know that he is determined to kill me. So David is hopeful that Jonathan will do this. And on the basis of the covenant that they made together back in chapter 18, David proceeds to ask a question in verse number 8. And the question is, David, will you do this for me? Are we still in covenant together? Because if you feel like I've broken your agreement or our agreement, or if I've done anything to harm the king and deserve this death, then you can go ahead and kill me yourself. Don't even worry about taking me to Saul. You you just go ahead and do it if you feel like I've done anything to deserve this. If I've done anything to bring this upon myself. Jonathan reassures David that he's going to help him. And he says in verse 13, I promise you, I'm going to go and I'm going to report to you exactly how my father responds. And he even goes as far as to say in verse 13, I know the Lord will be with you. And what's puzzling, he says in verse 13, the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Let's make sure we understand that because what Jonathan is not saying is that Saul has been a godly king. As we might use that type of ter- terminology, the Lord is with that young man. The Lord is with that young woman. We, we, we usually say that to mean God's hand is upon their life. They're, they're, they're godly and faithful. Well, When Jonathan says, may the Lord be with you as he was with my father, he is just acknowledging the spiritual anointing of kingship. So he says, you're going to survive, David. I promise I'm going to report it to you. Because it's my prayer that as God has promised that the Spirit of God will be upon you as king just like the Spirit of God chose Saul to be king. Again, I, I, want, you to, I want you to think just briefly. I cannot elaborate much on this. But think about the humility of Jonathan. Once again, we see him acknowledging David as the anointed king of God, which meant he is simultaneously accepting the fact that though he is in the family lineage to receive the throne, that's not what God has chosen. So what could have been an even more intense, divisive element between Jonathan and David, like it was Saul and David we don't see that and the reason we don't see that is because unlike his daddy Saul is in tune with the will of God and so he humbly and helpfully out of covenant love reassures David that he's going to help him and that brings us to verse 18 and they make this agreement they show one another steadfast love Jonathan to David in the plan to discern Saul's intention and David to Jonathan and the saving of his family and the, the new kingdom together, all is an expression of love, all is an expression of kindness, all reverting back to the covenant, the covenant that they made together between them and God. And then they work out the details of the plan. The details is this. After three days of the new moon feast, David is going to hide in this field by the stone Ezel. What do we know about the stone Ezel? Absolutely nothing, All right. All we know is that this must have been some type of uh, popular spot in the middle of this field that was well known to the kingdom, uh, especially to Jonathan and David. And so whatever it was, wherever it was, Jonathan and David knew it, and that's all that God wants us to know about it. But they're, they're to meet here on the, on the third day. And what Jonathan's going to do is after the third day, he's going to come there, he's going to shoot three arrows. We read this a moment ago. As if he's aiming at a target, all right, a mark. If he says to the servant boy that is with him, the arrows that I uh, shot, they are close to you, go get them. Then David, who's hiding around this rock, he's going to be hiding behind it, listening to everything going on, not being seen by anyone. He said, when I shoot the arrows, when you hear me, if I say to the servant boy, the arrows are close to you, go get them. Then David, you're going to know there is safety from Saul and you can come out from the rock and we'll just go on back to the palace. If I say to the servant boy, the arrows are way beyond you, then David, you're in trouble. Can you you imagine the anticipation of David as he's been sitting around that rock, whether it was for a few hours, a day, or three days, whatever it may be, and he's just just waiting to see, what's what's Jonathan going to say? What's Jonathan going to say? Where are those arrows going to land? What's the lad going to do, the servant boy? Well, that was the plan. Write down number three, this third part of Jonathan's encouragement. His encouragement was helpful, humble. It was was motivated by covenant love, okay? Jonathan is doing all of this because he loves David as his own soul. But then I wrote down thirdly, Jonathan's encouragement was out of desire to help bear his friend's burden. Jonathan's encouragement was out of a desire to help bear his friend's burden. So the day came and Saul was in his place, Jonathan was in his, and Abner was in his, but David was absent. But Saul didn't say anything surprisingly on day number one because he thought due to the ceremonial laws of cleanliness that we read about in the book of Leviticus, that perhaps David was unable to attend. And this was actually a compliment to David because Saul knew that David was intimately dedicated to God. He took the law of God seriously. And the Levitical law expressly said in Leviticus chapter 22 that absence from a feast was permitted for at least one day when uncleanliness in a person was was found. So Saul's immediate thought was, look, my son-in-law is a godly man. He follows the law of God precisely. Of course, internally, that's part of Saul's problem. And uh, he doesn't bring it up, doesn't say anything. David's gone. He's thinking to myself, whatever he's eating on, uh, David must be unclean today. He'll be back tomorrow. But when he was absent on day number two, Saul brings it up. And the reason why he brings it up is because the Levitical law says you're only able to be absent from one day of the feast when uncleanness is involved, not two. So Saul knows something's up here, and this is where the plan is now enacted. Jonathan tells Saul that David had asked permission to go to Bethlehem for the family sacrifice, but Saul ain't buying it. He ain't buying it at all. And it's really amazing just how badly Saul has become. Look at it there in verse 30. When Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, he said unto him, You son of the perverse, rebellious woman who's your mother. That's the implication. Now now think about what Saul is doing here. He's literally cursing out his son at the degradation of his own wife. This is a little bit of a sanitized curse word than what is common in our culture. He looks at his own boy, his own son, and says, you are the son of a perverse woman. His anger is also fueled by the fact that Saul can't believe Jonathan won't fight for the throne. He says that. Verse 31, for as long as the son of Jesse lives upon the ground, you'll not be established nor your kingdom. Why aren't you as eager as I am to kill him? Now we know Saul's motivation was supremely about himself, but, but it's also as if here he's, he's doing these things for the advancement of his own family name. Jonathan defends David. He says he hasn't done anything to you to deserve death. And it was at this point Saul attempts to take the life of his own son. Look at it in verse 33. We've seen Saul throw several javelin spears at David, but verse 33 says, this time Saul casts a javelin at him. And there's no question in the language that the purpose of it, not to scare him, but to kill him, to kill him. I think this is an interesting part of the whole theme of of discouragement here. Because just just hold on, hold on to this for a moment. We're, we're we're wrapping this we're wrapping this up. When you're trying to do what's right by encouraging and helping your friends, don't be surprised if the same sources of discouragement come find you. I want to say that again because I think that's important. And when you're trying to do right by encouraging and helping your friends as Jonathan is doing for David, then don't be surprised if the same sources of discouragement come find you. Not only was David in the throes of Saul's anger, but now Jonathan is also. Now here's where we see that Jonathan's encouragement to David was out of a genuine desire to help bear his friend's burden. Because look at what the scripture says in Verse 34. Jonathan arose from the table, fierce anger. He didn't eat anything. Here's why. Look at it. He was grieved for David. He was grieved for David, primarily because his father had treated him shamefully. Again, the humility of Jonathan is so present. No mention of his own life nearly being taken No grieving at the fact that he just dodged a spear. No, he's grieved for his friend who is greatly discouraged. This is what we call compassion. Grieved. Grieved. We often often define compassion as something like this. uh, Your pain in my heart. Have you heard that before? Compassion is your pain felt in my heart. Jonathan is feeling what David is going through. And now he knows he must do what he can to, to encourage his friend. He's, he's grieved by it. He's compassionate toward David. He feels it in the bosom of his soul. It's a New Testament verse that tells us in which we ought to respond in this way. Galatians 6, two. Bear ye one another's burdens so that you can fulfill the law of Christ. What what, what all the law is important for us today as New Testament believers? Well, the the Bible says if we want to fulfill the law, if we want to keep the law the way God wants us to keep it, then bear the burdens of your friends who are hurting. Bear the burdens of... Of your friends who are discouraged. Compassion. A great desire to help carry the load. I gave a dear friend a copy of a book once to help me or, or to help describe some particular emotions that, that I was facing. Some things that I was going through. he later told me after some continued struggles he said you know I'm I'm reading that book again that you gave me because I want to know how to help you and I want to know what you're going through that my friends is a brother who was born for adversity I'm reading a book Just because I want to know how you're really feeling. That's what Jonathan is feeling. He's grieved and he wants to do whatever he can to help bear the burden. And let me just say this as we conclude the second point. You, brothers and sisters, are the gift of encouragement that someone needs tonight. They need a faithful friend who is humble and helpful, whose encouragement to them is motivated by covenant love, not motivated to find out more what's going on. And I'm ashamed to admit to you that sometimes that has been my motivation. Let me check on my friend over here because I heard and I just want to. I want to see the scoop, you know, or hear the scoop. No, we, we don't need more friends prying into their lives just so that they can find out all the, all the weak and useless things about us so they can continue to propagate that in unbiblical gossip. No, no, no a true friend says, we're in covenant together. I love him and he loves me and our love for God is mutual and affectionate. so I'm going to encourage them on the motivation of our covenant love together and a friend who desires to do whatever he can to help bear the burdens of those who are discouraged. Whatever you need, whatever you need David, I want to help. Well, that's the gift of encouragement. And for those of you who have a friend or a brother or a sister like that, then you know how helpful that is. Well, let me give you this third thing and we'll wrap it up: the goal of encouragement. The goal of encouragement. So, so Jonathan runs out in the field on day three. And as the servant boy's with him, he shoots the arrows. He tells the boy that the arrows are behind him. And after the boy goes and collects the arrows and returns them to Jonathan, Jonathan Sent him away, and this is where we see such an incredibly emotional reaction between two close friends. By the way, it probably wasn't the news that David wanted to hear. The arrows are... (laughs) If I'm David, I'm sitting there, close to you, close to you, close to you, close to you. The arrows are, please, close to him, close to him. I want to go back to my own bed and sleep, which he will not do for a long time. This is the beginning of a long run that God is sending David on. The arrows are are beyond you. I knew it. I knew there was but a step between me and death. I knew Saul was out to get me servant gets the arrows, he runs home. Once the coast is clear, Jonathan runs to the rock and they embrace. Look at it there in verse 41. Look at this affection. We don't always celebrate these things as men, but I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Oftentimes, this is why we harbor so many struggles in our lives is we don't have this kind of friendship and relationship. There's no funny business going on here. This is, this is two brothers in God who were bearing each other's burdens. Verse 41, As soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of the place toward the south. He fell on his face to the ground. He bowed himself three times. They kissed on one another. They wept on one another until David exceeded. That is, David more so than Jonathan. And here's what Jonathan said. The key is in Jonathan's words here before David was to leave. He said to David, Go In peace. For as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, Here is our covenant, the Lord be between me and you. Go in peace. Go in peace. And may the Lord continue to be honored by both of us. That right there, church, is the goal of encouragement. The goal of encouragement is to do what we can to bring peace to those who are discouraged. David is going to leave, and I'm telling you, there's not going to be peaceful days in the sense of this going away anytime soon. But Jonathan was committed to this covenant with him. He was committed to their mutual worship of God. And he was committed to doing whatever he could to bring David to the place of peace. That's our goal. When we write that note, when we pick up that phone, when we pull that brother or sister to the side at church, when we take them for a meal, buy them a cup of coffee, plead with them in our living rooms, cry with them, whatever. Our goal is I I want... God to use our covenant. I want God to be so fixed between us that I can help him or her have peace in what is no doubt a discouraging situation. Well, the message has been primarily toward our necessity to be an encouragement to those who are discouraged, but let me just say to the discouraged for a moment, and then we'll pray. One... The roads of discouragement that we walk are, in my biblical observation and experience, roads of God's refining purposes. God put David in this position to teach him how to fully depend upon God alone. After all, in God's timing, an entire nation is going to be depending upon him So although David couldn't see it, nor understand it, God is sending him on the run of his life because God had to teach David how to fully depend upon God if he was going to lead the people in a way that they were dependent upon him. God had to teach David to let God be his defense, his protection. As it relates to the throne, to let God be his promoter. Before the time came for him to be seated there himself. So remember, when, when we are discouraged, when, when these things are happening, even if it's in light seasons of affliction or those in which we feel like David is in this moment, I feel like the next step I take could bring death to me. Wherever we are on the spectrum, let us not forget that God knows where we are. He has placed us here. And it's for His refining purposes. There is a work He has to do in us that through no other means could be done unless He put us in this situation. The second thing I re- wrote down is, to those of you who are discouraged, let God empty you so He can use you. Let God empty you so He can use you. Even the last six months and some of the struggles that you know that I have been encountering for the first time in my life. I've often went to those closest counselors and confidence in my life, and even again this week to my own father. You know, asking the question, why, 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 why? And having to be reminded again of something that I know to be true, but I need to be reminded of these things, and that is God is emptying you. You've been in the way. God is emptying you of yourself so he can use you. And that is what happens to us even in unpleasant circumstances when we find ourselves discouraged. It is God's process of whether we call sanctification or whatever it may be. God is refining us. He is emptying us. He's putting us into possession where we will be best used for his purposes. And then I wrote down thirdly, embrace, to you who are discouraged, embrace the encouragement of others. Embrace it. One of the worst things we can do, and I've had to learn this the hard way, is to shelter ourselves in isolation during dark days. Especially, especially men. I'm not, I'm not going to put this on anybody else. I'm a, I'm a man. I'm supposed to be the leader of the home. I, I'm, the, I'm the pastor. I'm the pastor. I can deal with this. I can deal with this. Yeah, you can, and then there's going to reach a point where you can't anymore. And so as a means of encouragement to those of you who are discouraged, you're trying to carry this burden alone. One thing that has been so helpful to me this year is learning how to talk, learning how to open up. To my Jonathans, it's weird when my name's Jonathan saying that, but you understand what I mean. Listen to what David had to say about this. Psalm 32 and verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away by my groaning all day long. When I didn't talk, when I didn't open up, when when I kept quiet, it was when my inside was being eaten to pieces. So, can I encourage those of you who are discouraged tonight? Talk, 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 talk to God. And talk to your Jonathan. <laughs> Whoever he or she may be, one, two, or three, bring this discouragement to them and let God use them in your life. And if a brother as Proverbs said, is born for adversity. And may we never forget that Jesus is our friend that even sticks closer than a brother. Oh, may God help us to cling to Him days that we find ourselves hiding behind a rock, begging God for the errors to stay close. (laughs) Let's stand together for prayer.